There's nothing like the friends you make when you're in high school. It's mostly stupid, dumb fun that bonds you. They make you feel safe, safe enough to share secrets about girls, boys, your family, about something crazy that you've done. That's what friends are for, right? But just how far would you go to protect them from something really bad? That's what I'm going to try and find out. This is a story about a kid who was killed at his best mate's 18th birthday party. 15 years on, and no one has been charged over his death. At first, I thought he was killed by a gatecrasher who drove his car into a crowd of teenagers. But now I'm not so sure. What I do know is that this is a story about mateship, about how much you're prepared to give up or take on for a friend. I'm Nicole Hogan, and this is Gatecrash, a special project from the Sunday Telegraph. Nathan Garriott could be cheeky. His friends tell me this. His mum and dad call him a larrikin. It's even on his headstone. But he was just a kid, a beloved son, brother, best mate, who died a really horrific death that has ripped apart his family and group of friends. Can you imagine losing one of your children? You, you want to know what happened. You can't expect me to understand there was that many people at the party and nobody seen anything. I'm going to take you back 15 years ago. It's June 14, 2003. A group of teenagers are at a guy called Jay Nella's house in the Sydney suburb of Camden to celebrate Jay's 18th birthday. It's a cold night, and I know this because one of Nathan's friends says he was wearing three layers of clothing and he still felt freezing cold. It was a pretty packed party. I would have said it would have to have been around 100 or so come and go. That's Jamie Cross, one of Nathan's friends. They went to school together. When we got there, there was people there, but we got there early, from memory. But then, yeah, it was good to all the parties we used to go to. It was always a good, happy vibe. It was a good party. And this is Kane Sissons, another one of Nathan's friends. I've got a few memories of just being in the backyard. I think there was a fire. It's just like a general hanging out at a party, you know? Jay's family live in a two-storey house with a front and backyard. And at one stage, I'm told there are at least 100 kids at the property and there was still loads of space for everyone. So it's a big place with at least half an acre out the back. And to put that into context, these big blocks of land are common in Camden. It's a semi-rural suburb, which seems a world away from Sydney's inner-city congested lifestyle. So, of course, the kids in this area have plenty of space to run around in, but they also get really bored being so far away from the city. And this boredom is the contributing factor why these massive house parties are so popular. So the kids at Jay's party, they're aged around 15 to 18 years old, and they're hanging out in the backyard dancing to a DJ who's playing R&B hits, Eminem, 50 Cent, Destiny's Child. It's that era. It was Jay's 18th birthday. I think we all kicked in together and bought him a bar fridge from memory. He tells me there was a core group of boys, about six of them, who were really close. That night, they had loaded up Jay's birthday present, the bar fridge, on the back of one of their utes. We just 
together and bought a group present for him. When I look at photos from that night, all of the boys kind of look the same. They're wearing surfer and skating clothes that look brand new or close to it. They look well off or like they're from well off families. And I said this to Kane when I spoke to him. I guess that's trends though. Like when you're 17, you're a group together, you're all into the same thing. So you probably all dress very similar. Jay's best mate, Nathan Garriock, is in his element. He's the life of the party. A few days earlier, Nathan's parents had helped him buy a brand new electric blue ute for his 17th birthday, and now he was showing it off to his mates. Nathan's almost fully loaded after knocking back a bottle of Jim Beam. Gazza, as his mates call him, pulls up his shirt and shows everyone his Australian flag tattoo. He loves that Aussie flag. It's on everything from his bedroom wall to his stubby holder. So a kid arrives to the party who isn't invited, and Gazza gets into a minor scuffle with him. But his mates tell me that's nothing unusual. Oh, he's a little prick. (laughs) (laughs) Here's Jamie Cross again. He didn't mind a scuff if someone put on his nerves, Mm. or someone was picking on his mates or something. I mean, he'd be more than happy to sort of have a crack at him. I asked Jamie if getting into a bit of biffo was a common thing for him or for them as a group and what would spark it off? Oh, it could be over anything. We had a fair few fights back in the day. Um, it could have been over anything. It's mainly because you were drunk and you were just someone would say something stupid to someone or could be could have been over, yeah, like girls and stuff, all different sort of things. Probably a bit of testosterone, I think, would probably be. Yeah, yeah and that, that would just sometimes get out of hand. Yeah. Where um, someone would try to stand up to us and we would have to prove that it would sort of not back down kind of thing. From what I can tell from his friends, Nathan would be up for anything, especially if it was to defend his mates. Yeah, he loved it. Um, yeah, he was happy to stick up for us anything. The group's staunch, fearless mentality was about to get kicked up a gear. At 12.25am, a group of seven men, aged in their 20s, rock up to Jay's house. They walk down the driveway and towards the side of the house, carrying a full case of Jim Beam and cola cans. Unlike the Camden kids, they're not wearing Billabong, Quicksilver or Etnies. They're tattooed and kitted out in dark clothes with car racing logos. Nathan's crew acts tough and territorial, but these guys, these gate crashes, they're grown men next to these kids. One of them is a fugitive on the run from the police. Jay Nella is standing at the front of the house having a chat to Nathan Garriock when the gate crashes walk past them. Jay tells one of the gate crashes, a 22 year old, to get lost. Someone yells out, Go back to your shanty homes, you c***s. F- off back to Raby. Another shouts, F off Westies. Jamie tells me the brawling started almost immediately. Supposedly they walked in and then I think Jay told them to leave or something along them lines. I'm not sure how we said it, if he said it nicely or not. Yeah, it was sort of just, I think someone hit him or grabbed him and threw him against a wall or something like that. The 22-year-old gatecrasher hits Jay and the whole group join in. It's now full-on anarchy. Punches are thrown everywhere and the boys, including Jay and Nathan, grab pieces of wood being used for the bonfire as weapons against the gate crushers. All I remember is sitting down, and it sounds sad to actually say like this, but I remember hearing that like, there's a fight, and I, get, I used to get a little bit excited, get a bit of adrenaline pumping at us, and obviously not thinking the outcome, what it was. 
or who they were or I had absolutely no idea. So now partygoers from the backyard hear the punch up and charge up the side of the house to the front yard. Most of them arm themselves with planks of wood and so do the gate crashers. It's just mayhem. Teenagers are whacking each other in the confusion and saying sorry to their mates before running after the strangers who were trying to leave. And I jumped up, then I remember just running up the driveway. And then after that, I didn't really remember too much. I just remember sort of running towards the flight. At 12.35am, things escalate out of control. A white Holden Commodore, driven by one of the gate crashes, rams straight into a group of eight people. The group were standing in a ditch a few houses down from Jay's place. They'd been fighting and didn't see the car coming for them. Their bodies bounce off the car like bowling pins. Jamie is hit front on and his body flies over the bonnet, landing three metres behind the vehicle. My first memory, I was laying on, on the ground and it was just chaos. Like, there was just ambulance everywhere and people everywhere. And I'm like, what just happened? I had absolutely no idea what happened at first. I'm like, what happened? I sort of just forgot everything. And then I had a couple of mates that tell me to stay down because I remember I was trying to get up and I couldn't really walk off my knee. And then um, one of my other mates, Dan was crying, saying Gaz is bleeding everywhere and it was sort of shit. And I'm like, at first, I'm like, man, what do you, like, I thought he was over-exaggerating a little bit. I thought he was just upset and just sort of carrying on a little bit. Like, I thought he was going a bit over the top. Then after a couple of minutes, it sort of hit me, like, it might be a bit worse than what, what I first thought. So I remember, I think I tried to get up. I think I stood up. I'm pretty sure I stood up. And then I remember trying to go see Gaza. But then I ran and I fell over and I couldn't run. And then that was, then I just pretty sure I got the ambulance not too long after that. And then went to the hospital. At Camden Hospital, there are dozens of teens from the party. They're crying hysterically and they're also really confused about what had happened and who was injured. I was just waiting in a wheelchair because I wasn't that bad. Just my knee was all stuffed up and my head was a bit sore and that, but I wasn't too bad. Wheelchair, I think, maybe in the waiting room or in the hospital somewhere. I can't remember exactly where. And I would keep asking. There was a, a couple of nurses would walk past, and I was just curious on how Gaza was doing. Didn't think that he would die. Like I didn't. I didn't even come into my head. I said, "Oh, how's Nathan doing?" Oh, she's like, "Oh, okay, I'll get back to you. We don't know." Nathan's mum, Joan, and dad, Bill, arrive at the hospital. The worst thing was when we walked into that hospital. There was people out the front, and I ran through casualty and I saw Nathan's mates sitting down on beds and God knows what injuries and all sorts of things, and I'm yelling out, where's Nathan? And nobody spoke a word. Anyway, and then I started going somewhere else, and this nurse said to me, what's your name? And I told her what my name was. I said, where's my son? And she said, oh, just a minute, I'll get the doctor. As soon as she said that, I thought something bad's happened. And they put us in a room together, and uh, we just hung around and hung around, for, which seemed like an eternity. 
and we just kept asking the question, where's Nathan, where's Nathan, where's Nathan? And unbeknownst to us, he was in the room next door, but he, he was already pronounced dead. I think I asked probably three or four times to a nurse that was walking past, and then I'm pretty sure one of the nurses pushed me away from everyone and said that he's just died. And I've gone, what the f***? And I've come and I said, I think I said something to her. I think I swore, I went, what the f***? And then someone goes, what's wrong? And I'm pretty sure I said, like, f***ing dead. What the f***? And then, then I heard... Um, Joan scream, like just screaming, which was horrible. But, um, yeah, that's it, I think. Yeah, yeah that was shit. That was because it was completely unexpected. Because that didn't even come into my head that he might have been going to die. And then all of a sudden I opened this curtain up. Jason's lined up the bed. Two policemen, two nurses. And he was just lying there. I couldn't see any injuries on him. And I was trying to lift the blanket off his feet, hold his feet and hold him. But nobody moved. They were just standing there, the police and the nurses. And then I was trying to lift Nathan and hold him. And the nurse sentry dad touching me, I have broken bones. I said, no, I said, I'm touching him, he's my son. Joan couldn't see any other injuries on Nathan's body, apart from around his skull. She didn't realise it at the time, but the fact that Nathan had no other injuries to his body is a really important clue as to what happened to him that night. I asked Nathan's older sister, Heather, if it took the family a long time to start asking questions about what had happened to Nathan and who was responsible for his death. No, not at all, because that night it was Nathan had been hit by a car. So that's all you had in, in, in your mind. There was gate crashes that come in. It was pretty, pretty kind of direct and simple. Gate crashes come in, a fight broke out, um, one of the gate crashes which uh, was known to police already, so he already had a criminal record. There was five or six of them come in and drove his car into the group of people after a fight had broke out. In the next chapter of Gate Crash, we'll follow the police investigation and examine the evidence found at the crime scene. You'll hear what the witnesses saw and follow the intense six-week pursuit for the gate crasher who drove his car into the teenagers. I just remember waking up when there was an ambulance around me and I didn't know what was going on. I was, what the f*** happened? I just want to know for my children's sake 
that something has been done. I want to know, especially for Nathan's sake, that something has been done. I remember it was like the hardest thing I'd ever dealt with. It was just such a, it was the thing that just came to mind. I was like, like, why? What a shame and what a waste of a life. Gay Crash is a special project by The Sunday Telegraph, narrated by Nicole Hogan, produced by Danielle Pogson. For more details, including images and video, go to dailytelegraph.com.au and subscribe for upcoming episodes. News doesn't have to be boring. The Brits have given Prince Harry a new nickname after yet another tell-all interview. Oh, God, is it the ginger winger? (laughs) Let the team at news.com.au get you up to speed each day with their podcast from the newsroom. A couple were busted joining the Mile High Club. Well, I guess they can't fly virgin anymore. (laughs) Politics, sport, red carpets, royals. Get all the goss in just a few minutes. Follow from the newsroom wherever you get your podcast from. (laughs) 